Hey folks, this is Bill here. Um, Noel has mentioned this on the previous podcast, I believe, and I'm going to go through and make this a reality. Um, the other podcast idea that I had to do for filler is going to take a while to go through and still edit, since I accidentally lost all the edits for that. So I have to start over, and that is going to be a fun thing to do. Not... So, what you're about to listen to is from my old podcast, Vicarious Identity. This is the first time that I actually had a verbal conversation with Noel. This is an interview I had with her under her model name, Vita. So, enjoy. Mr. Bill, please call me No Chill Bill, and this is my vicarious identity, living a midlife crisis through other people. Episode 13, Vita, the self-proclaimed lawful evil. Very recently, my friend Donnie from episode 10 has started watching The Office. I still hate it, but he's starting to enjoy it. This is after he said, But every now and then there is an episode where I'm like, I want to punch you in the face so gosh darn hard, Michael Scott. Holy crap. When ending this episode, I shouted, I want to punch you in the face so gosh darn hard, Bill. Holy crap because this was a difficult episode for me to edit. It wasn't because of technical difficulties or my wonderful guest, but me, because near the end I was called out on a few things that I actually wound up completely editing out because it made me wince like watching The Office. My guests used this as a platform to try to call me out, and I did the best to avoid answering the question, because it's not about my identity, it's about her identity. You can ignore between an hour and seven minutes to an hour and fourteen minutes. Describing my guest Vita is sort of like describing her as Molly Weasley, but hot. She can be warm-hearted and welcoming, but will yell at you if she thinks you're being stupid. We met through Renee from episode 6 in the LARP organization we are slash a part of. Vita is a player that is my character, Sire. We talked with each other, got to know each other, etc. I was kicking down doors in her name and she started calling me her ferocious badger. We continued playing our characters in another game that she runs on Discord, and quite frankly we've talked a lot about various things going on in our lives. She's been a good ear for me, and because my life went through an insane patch while she was going nuts about all of her Renfair duties, we had planned this interview in September, but now just got around to doing it. In this interview, she actively fights me about her alignment, even though I think she's wrong, and internet surveys that try to determine personality. She has a vivacious mind and a huge heart, and that's why she is my choice to vicariously live through. are here with Vita, who is, in the past few months, been a very major 
has been playing a very major role in aspects of my life. Um, she calls me her furious badger, and after she just recently did her Potter board test, I'm probably going to call her the Griffin Mom, even though she doesn't understand what exactly is going on. So, as I ask everybody, what were you sorted into in Potterborn? Uh, based on what is probably an extremely uh, superficial test, I was sorted into Gryffindor, and I was also sorted into, because I took all of the tests, uh, the Horned Serpent for the American side. Well, you and I are alumni and Horned Serpent, um, and the tests, while it may be seeming superficial, the actu- the author actually wrote the test out, so it's not like someone just did it randomly with that. Um, that now, I go ahead, go ahead. All right, um, because you mentioned to me that a lot of people put you in Slytherin. Yes. All right, because the, looking at both the sides, I can see as a Potter lore person where people can see both you for Slytherin and both you for Gryffindor. Slytherins are ambitious, cunning, resourceful. They have a knack for self-preservation. With the Gryffindor, they are courageous, um, they are loyal, they are chivalrous, they go to try to do what is right, um, however, they can be the most foolhardy of the bunch, sometimes putting themselves in situations just because they don't, they, they sort of look before they leap at a lot of times. Both of them, I'm just skimming the surface but I could see both of them. In fact, um, Alice, who you recently were speaking to, that I mentioned to you recently, is also a Gryffindor. So maybe there's a connection with certain aspects of that in your lives. That's fair. I also want to talk about, for just a minute, how writing a survey, any survey, even if it's a stupid internet quiz, uh, the order of the questions and the choices you are given deeply influence the result that you get. I was not given choices that might lead me more towards Slytherin based on the options I was given. This is the result I got. Write me a different test with different options that's maybe more in-depth. We get a different answer. There's actually a test out there that um, what the first sorting had gone through because the test had changed from when the Pottermore changed from the two setups. Um, someone took went through and researched all the questions, probably a Ravenclaw, and put together a survey test that had all the questions there. Even that, I wound up getting Hufflepuff. But yeah, based it was. I, I think what they've done now is just did all the same questions for everybody with the same uh, the same options, so to speak. It's a survey thing. I took a class in graduate school that was basically um, on how to do good methodology in uh, gathering data by surveys and things. I thought it was a really cool thing. And librarians, as awesome as we are at finding information, 
are sometimes not so awesome about gathering information for ourselves uh, for professional purposes. So the survey we started the class with asked a bunch of questions. And as it went down, you know, name, age, sex, gender identity, blah, blah, blah. Do you have any pets? Wait. The question on weight, what they wanted was my weight. But based on the order of the questions, I answered the combined weight of two cats. So it was about 15 pounds. Because um, I checked. <laughs> I actually stopped and asked the prof- and asked the professor, do we answer the, yeah, how, you know, how do we do this? And she said, answer it the way, the way you think that they want it answered. And it was just this moment of there's a difference between the, the weight of two cats and the weight of one me. And it's quite a few pounds. We're not going to go into exact math, but it was just, it was an interesting class, and now I look at every internet and every internet game that asks you questions, pick things, do this, or that. It's all in what's presented and what's order and what choices you're given, and it ruins everything. Because now I'm think now I'm always looking past the moment of the survey. True, I can see that, especially with the way that the Sorting Hat and the books set in compared to a list of questions too um you have to make do sort of how you have to make do in trying to put those aspects together in that regard you went to school for being a librarian i got my ba in classical studies which means i i majored in dead greeks and romans uh specifically art and literature because i suck at language as long as it's not english um i'm pretty good with english everything else no and then, yeah, I went to grad school. I uh, squashed two years of library school into about a year and a half because I'm an overachiever like that. Um, and then I promptly ran into a wall of hiring freezes and more hiring freezes. And so now I'm a, li- I'm a reference librarian without a library, and I do what I can to use my skills as often as possible. Because you spoke with me a lot in regards to my current course about uh, reading through with co- uh, comparative literature and things of that nature. Yeah, I might have um, complet. What made you go through? Was that just to add to your uh, future graduate studies or to contrast with your um, classical studies? It was a complete accident. I... I, I- accidentally took enough courses specifically in comparative literature to apply for the minor. I almost got a minor in history for the same way. It was just, these classes are interesting. I want to take these. I had no academic advisor to speak of besides my dad, who's an engineer and not an academic advisor at all for liberal arts. So we sort of uh, fought through that together Um, I had to actually petition to graduate and point out that I had no academic guidance my junior and senior years in terms of ensuring I had met compliance. Right. I took like two bio, like two physics and one or, and one biology or two biology and one physics, um, science for non-science majors courses. And apparently that didn't count. And I took 
two of one era of history and one of something else, and I needed to take a different social science. And there was very little communication with what I needed to do versus what I was doing. So that was fun. I didn't have a diploma the day I graduated because they didn't get it printed up in time because of my uh, having to fight to graduate. Oh, that sounds fun. Oh, it was write a, write a very upset letter, um, <laughs> which was not really a big deal. The The dean of the university, uh, the, the dean of the college at that time in terms of academic affairs or students, I forget what specific one I had to petition, happened to have been the chair of the classics department and had already dealt with a giant stack of complaints about the guy who was my academic advisor. So he already knew this guy was not ideal. So that part was easy. It was the hiding it from my parents until everything was over. Uh, because, of course, you don't want to tell your parents, yeah, I did all I could. I thought I did everything right. They say I can't graduate because I didn't meet academic requirements. Uh, so that was fun. Yeah, my academic advisor basically calls me two weeks on the phone, every two weeks on the phone to check up on everything. And... um emails me at least once a week just to double check with everything um so, uh, today he called i was like am i your only person you're advising and he was like no i just try to make sure i'm thorough <laughs> from librarian and i'm gonna skip from librarian all the way into uh modeling uh it's a little whiplash um, but here we are. That's the way I do things here. <laughs> well, no, the um, trajectory of my life has been a little whiplash because we're skipping over a large part of shitty, shitty stuff. And I'm okay with that because it's shitty and no one wants to hear that. What actually started you getting with the modeling aspect going into being Vita, basically, in that regard? Okay, this is an interesting story. I'm going to plug a business here. For because that's where I got my start. I started doing advertising, promotional or commercial model. Um, I have a friend who runs a jewelry business. Um, his name is Eric Duckworth, and his business is Cultist Crafts. It is um, it ranges from very beautiful, very elegant, very wear it to a state dinner chainmail jewelry to a bunch of other directions. But all of the stuff is really nice. And he needed, he wanted to get a bunch of women he knew that would probably be chill with not getting paid, but getting some portfolio built um, that were also friends of his to help him build his product catalog. So my first shoot was the house of a photographer friend of his and wearing a couple of nice dresses and basically being a mannequin for uh, various jewelry pieces. And I met some cool people and it turned out really well. I've been used in a couple of his print ads. Um, I was in Realm magazine. Uh, there was an issue devoted to his business, um, which was pretty cool. Um, he got a bunch of people together for that as well. And I was surprised, as I am every time, when I make it into a publication, um, especially if there are a lot of people. Um, I have deep-seated uh, self-image issues. So the whole, hey, I made the cut. I'm in a publication. That's exciting, is always a desperately fun surprise. Uh, but it's always a little anxious beforehand. Uh, but it's all Eric's fault um, after that. Because he's organized a couple of the group shoots I've been a part of. 
Um, the other uh, perpetrator of my modeling career uh, from the cosplay side of it is um, my friend, the author Craig Schaefer. Um, he's the author of the Daniel Faust novels and a couple of other series. I've lost count. All he does is write. And so far, everything's been really good. Go read his stuff. Um, but in a nod to our friendship, there are a couple of in-jokes that I get because I know where they're coming from in the novels. And as a thank you for including those things, as, you know, quiet little references, I asked him once when I was uh, being a, a beta reader for one of his novels if he was very quietly shaming me in front of the world for being a workaholic and he said well i'm not going to say i'm not um maybe you should get some sleep <laughs> uh i my first photo shoot with laura dark was his uh one of the characters from his book her short name is caitlin i am not going to try to pronounce the very long name but she's a demon and she's really, you know, she's she's a pretty hot redhead when she's got her makeup on, and she's a terrifying goat scorpion monster when she doesn't. But she's a pretty chill demon, and it was really fun to try to create a photo shoot that drew the the horror aspects and the humanoid aspects together. He was super thrilled, so that's how I kind of got into costuming. I don't do as much cosplaying as I do just uh, costuming because fair eats up a lot of my time and a lot of the cosplaying shoots tend to be overlapping with I'm getting paid to be somewhere. Right, because fair season just ended for you. Yes. And how how long and have you been uh going into fair season in and taking part in it so to speak? I have been working fair either since 2004 according to some people who have been on cast that long at my home show, the Ohio Renaissance Festival, or 2005, which is what I vaguely remember putting on my resume way back in the day. So we're looking at going on 13 years. I've been doing, sh I've been working Renfair, give or take a year. I did end up with a year off inadvertently. So, but I, I now work two shows uh, for a company that does a lot of conventions as well. It's a lot of fun. The theme weekends give me a chance to stretch my creative legs um, and dress to theme and take our products and incorporate them into the theme so that anybody shopping can see how different pieces they might pick up from us would work in a variety of costuming settings. We do get a lot of cosplayers into the booth. And with the Renaissance Festival culture, a lot of people have a character for the show, even if they're patrons and they're coming in. There, we have a regular that we have several regulars I can talk about. They're all elves. One of them, he's older because his hair has all gone gray, um, but he's still in great shape, aesthetically pleasing to look at. But he's very carefully spent years building this elven ranger. And this year, we finally got him. Uh, a stamina potion prop that he had been looking for. No, it was agility. I'm sorry. But so he's an old school D and D player because, you know, he needs his agility boost. Uh, but we got him a, a, a bottle with a leather strap and the wrap around the neck says agility on it. And I nagged the boss until we got that done for him. And now a lot of people want it. 
but we we do the health and mana and trying to get stamina agility might just fill that spot the gamer culture the rent the cosplay culture um just people wanting to dress up and not be themselves for a few hours kind of stuff uh but these people are amazing there's a couple i'm friends with they're local to me um i love them dearly but i have extreme bouts of costume envy um she made a new dress this year it's uh it started out as a white uh knockoff wedding dress uh all lace all leafy lace she dyed it orange and then she proceeded to hand paint the leaves little in different spots brown for this autumn fairy look she play uh, her character is titania um, her husband is oberon and he's built his own like beetle painted um, painted up and built like beetle shell armor to go with his robes they're just incredible so building a character is just as important in my second job as it is as at a cosplay convention um original characters are kind of a big deal what got you into going into the run fair work i needed a job i was that straight up completely honest i was broke i was desperate for a job i figured two months of some money coming in would give me a chance to find something else because you're less desperate if you have a job so it's easier to get that next job and psychology is weird yeah i know so yeah i started out i had to borrow garb um and that's terrible um things that belong to somebody else never fit you quite the same way especially when we're talking about stuff that's got um metal boning in it it just doesn't sit right so i had to borrow my own garb i had i started out working um a garland cart and anyone who's in your audience who's been to a Ren Fair is aware of garland carts. I had to hawk, which is um, actively engaging people, and I really don't like doing that, but I needed the money. Right. Uh, it was commission unless it was a bad day. And commission usually made more money, so there was incentive to wrap myself in a character even there just so I had a boundary between the real me who doesn't like doing all of this and the self that needed to be there and be outgoing and touch people and approach them and be all extroverted. Yep. So it was the whole entire be extroverted at work when you're not really extroverted. Yeah. Um, so that persona when I'm on, which is how I think of it, like being on, being on stage, when I'm on at fair, I'm very bubbly. I'm a little more bossy. I'm, uh, I can be a little pushy. I will be slightly more blunt. I have been slightly rude to some guys just because they were harshing the zen of my booth. Um, to, we sell corsets. Dudes are going to stare. Dudes who stare or say stupid shit are going to get sassed because we don't need people standing around making women or making uh, female presenting individuals or making guys who are trying on a corset just because feel uncomfortable about what they're doing. We're a very body positive and um, gender agnostic shop. All money is green and we just want to make people feel happy about the bodies they're in. That version of me is 
a lot more defensive and protective of that kind of space. Whereas when I'm sitting at home, I might growl just a little bit and then let it go. You know, you do have a tendency to protect space and protect those within your space. Um, just from what I'm, just from what I've witnessed with the various interactions that we have ha- have had. Um, for those that are listening, uh, we met through an organization that for LARP. Um, even though I basically haven't actually physically LARPed in maybe over two years, um, I was still a part of the organization, still trying to at least get into games and things like that. Um, and basically I moved on to, uh, an online RPG where we're continuing our characters with that. Um, you, when you have your tribe, you are very protective of your tribe. Uh, and I appreciate that as a person, as appreciate that of you as a person. So I could see how someone going to your booth that is going through and trying on a corset or looking into this type of uh, garment and like you said, all money is green, but at the same time being protective of the, not just the customer, but the person that is going through the experience. Um, I appreciate that about you as a person. So um, thank you for that. Okay. Oh, it's nice to have some of that appreciation because sometimes it can be, interpretive interpreted as sort of a negative possessiveness um when it's not so much well yes i'm very selfish and possessive but i try to be selfish and possessive in the way that granny weatherwax and tiffany aching are possessive these things are mine because i care about them these things are mine because i have an ability to do more. I have something that lets me walk those spaces and be that kind of person who can stand guard. So it's my job. I can take the hits. I'm a DPS warrior, but I guess you could still call that a social justice warrior. I can take the hits. I can draw the fire. Um, and it's not going to bother me because. I don't care. Uh, internet heroes can come at me and uh, you can kick me in, in the teeth all day. But the minute you start using me to hurt other people, I will eat your face. I built uh, some bylaws for the guild I've been nominally in charge of since 2008 based on some very bad organization experiences I've had where uh, member needs were not being met where leadership team uh, duties and responsibilities were not well spelled out, things like that. I believe my bylaws are about two pages. And a few times over the years, we've gone back and we thought, what do we need to change? And we've had other people look at them and nobody's really found anything that needed to be tweaked, and which is kind of satisfying because that's, again, that's 10 years of a document for an RP organization, no less, that functions, that functions across multiple gaming platforms, and that generally doesn't need to be changed. And so I, I 
might be a little snobby about how RP organizations are run. Um, my spouse has said a couple of times, I don't have a problem with authority as, lo as long as I am the authority. And I, I do correct him and say that I'm fine with authority as long as that authority is competent and is applying the rules equitably and consistently. The minute you start screwing around with that, I'm going to start trying to take the power from you because you don't deserve it. You're not. Okay, see, <laughs> I, I'm going to interrupt you right there. What what you just described is this: your husband called your your spouse called you a Slytherin, and you fired back and said, "No, I'm a Gryffindor." Well, no, <laughs> no, I'm lawful evil. Either use the rules correctly, or I'm going to use them to hit you over the head. There's nothing that says that a Gryffindor can't be evil. There's nothing saying that a Gryffindor follows the rules, either. They're really shitty at that. I like rules. I like organization. I like yes. having a format. I need that there structure. Are, there are very... There are Gryffindors that are great at following the rules. And as soon as they realize that the rules are broken and need to be fixed, they do whatever they can to go through and fix the rules to help to make sure that everything is being followed. Hermione Granger, she's the perfect example of what you just described. <laughs> yeah, but I'm doing it for my own self-interest, which is a key component of being lawful evil in the first place, is the application of enlightened self-interest. The only reason I want things to fix is because I don't like broken things. It's in my best interest to have everything running smoothly because then nobody is upset, nobody is complaining, nobody is putting problems on my plate. Everyone is happy, and I can ignore all of you. Right, but you're while well, I understand your self-interest of being able to ignore everybody because everybody is happy, the key thing there, though, unfortunately, is everybody's happy. Are you sure you're not lawful neutral? Pretty sure I'm lawful evil because the only reason I want you all to be happy is so you just pay your taxes and I can crush you. <laughs> I mean, it's really hard to take over a country when the people love their cruel and tyrannical overlord, who is a dictator, because there is no vote. Or, again, I'm going to make a Terry Pratchett reference. I'm Lord Vetinari. I'm the man. I have the vote. One man, one vote. I'm the man. I have the vote. It's a, it's a really great setup. Um, it works just fine. Unle you know, and I'm very willing to work within a structure unless there is a serious breakdown with how things are running. Um, but, you know, lawful evil really does have an adherence to rules in a way. <laughs> I have a, a message from afar. There's nothing wrong with the dictatorship as long as you have the right dictator. And it's only a dictator for six months. That's what Rome had. And then if you're doing a good job, you get another six months. So let's go through and uh, bring up another question that I go through. Mm -hmm. Oh, Gryffindor dictator. Um, what is something that is that goes on in life or anything that you find that is very important that people need to know about, look into, or be a part of, so to speak? Oh, you want my causes list, huh? Uh, I want not just the, not. Not just your causes, but a cause in particular 
that you feel is really extremely important? Uh, this goes back to my primary profession of librarian. I'm not getting paid to do that, but it's still a huge part of who I am. Learn to evaluate your sources of information. For the love of God, please learn. It is too important, and there is too much information that I can just reach out and and pluck free. Um, I could find all kinds of stuff on just about anything, and I know for a fact that you can do a search for um, spaghetti spaghetti trees. Uh, the Pacific Northwestern tree octopus, and I think zipper crops is another good one. Um, these are all pages that were built in the early days of the internet that are hoaxes, but they look really good. Spaghetti tree. Okay. Sp the spaghetti tree hoax. It was a three-minute hoax report broadcast on April Fool's Day in 1957. Um, but it's been continued. The only the only hoax that was a hoax that I was actually disappointed was a hoax was the Nerf nuke. Oh, yeah. I mean, some of them are good. Oh, here we go. Um, we actually used the Pacific Northwestern tree octopus as um, an example when we are teaching seniors how to use the internet. This is a site the short period of time I was in the library, I did help with a couple programs, one of which was the internet for old people, essentially. This is, and it went from, this is a mouse, this is how you click things, to this is how you verify what is real. And I get having to teach 65 to 80-year-old people this with the internet, because... Right. they're getting just overwhelmed with the amount of information. But people younger than me should all know just as well as they know how to spell and they know their colors. <laughs> you know, this is stuff we should be teaching very early in school. And I believe the increase in fake news is directly related to the decrease of school librarians and the teaching of information literacy in schools. So everybody with parents out there, go bother your school board to get information literacy classes in your schools. Save the country and save the world. Um, I would like you to include, I'm going to send you the link for the Tree Octopus website, um, but there is a Snopes fact check as well. Is it a ho Is it endangered? Um, it's not endangered because... There is no amphibious octopus in existence. I'm very sorry to tell everyone. But it's a pretty slick website. It's got um, a .NET extension, which automatically, if you have a very basic information literacy understanding, .NET is safer than .com. So these people went all out in perpetrating their hoax on the world. They made themselves... <laughs> Not quite that good. Yeah, that it's um it's got that dot net, it's got some cool graphics, it's got a Latin name, Oct uh, Octopus Paraxibolus. I they they invented some Latin 
They have maps. They have a tree octopus hat from 1923 on the Cascadia Evening Post, um, which is obviously a fake. They just really made a pretty slick website for whenever the hell they made this. Uh, 1998. If you didn't know how to research this and vet the information, you would probably believe that Northwestern Tree Occupy existed, um, at least for a little bit. But if you check, it only if you click the links, they only really reference themselves. I mean, they do go out and they reference Pliny. Most of the uh, breakouts for more information are absolutely self-referencing, which is a huge sign that something is either biased, slanted, or fake. You know, if you didn't if you didn't go through and actually like read the text and things like that, I just googled Northwestern Tree Octopus. The third link on there is a .gov, <laughs> and if if you didn't read below it, that says that it is an internet hoax. Most people will be like, "Oh my god, there's a .gov. It must be real." Exactly. <laughs> you have to learn to read your sources. You have you gotta learn how to vet things. Um, I have some fun graphics you can include include in the show notes. Um, I'll push those to you one way or another. Um, about how to drop them on your file. That should work out well with that. Okay. Um, they're just fun little, uh, we call them pathfinders. You call them infographics. Um, but just helpful tips on how to look at something and start picking it apart to see how trustworthy it is. There are lots of resources out there to check. And if you're not sure, call the library. There are trained people there to help. Um, that's all we want is for people to be information literate and be empowered to navigate the world. All right. So you mentioned a couple of other things to me. Um, the Rescue Foundation. Oh, Rescue. Yes. Um, that in, That is an intersection with my uh, REN Festival life. Uh, rescue, R-E-S-C-U, um, is uh, Renaissance Festival uh, merchants and, and other employees helping each other it's basically our version of uh, health insurance um and other uh crisis www.rescuefoundation.org if you love rent fairs please feel free to throw money at them um but they help with uh medical bills they help with um advocacy and how much help this is before we started the push for uh, universal health care, because these are very small business owners or employees that go on the circuit that are not, you know, one or two local shows like me. They don't have the income. They don't have the stable residency because uh, they're going from show to show to show and they're in different states for a couple of months at a time. How do you have a, a standing address? Um, in, there's income instability, but we're doing what we love and rescue e will either help through ad advocacy or help network to get things covered, um, can partial cover. It's really amazing that it exists. It stands for Renaissance and Entertainers Services Crafters United. Uh, the pursuit of charity status was completed in 2003. It's been going ever since. It's really wonderful. Um, according to their site, which was updated 
to 2015, so these numbers are probably slightly off. Um, Rescue has disbursed over $450,000 worth of medical aid. And uh, in the last four years, give or take, you know, the last listed update, um, the advocacy program has achieved nearly $3 million in medical bill abatement for applicants. So these people are, this foundation is hustling for some of the hardest working people you will ever meet. Renaissance performers are, and vendors, and everybody who puts on the show are incredible people. Um, And they are completely at the mercy of weather and the economy. So if you've ever gone to a show and you want to give back in a way that's more than just buying product, this is how. Because this is saving people's lives, and this is saving people's livelihoods by helping them not lose it all to medical bills. That is something that is important, especially for those that are following something that they love to do. It is a good cause for entertainers and craftsmen, especially since run season isn't like a year-round thing. It can, It's pretty close. Um, Ohio has a very finite amount of time in which you can do things outside and it's fun. Right. Uh, because we're Ohio. Right. Um, it's either a couple of weeks of really pleasant hoth, according to the internet, or humid and ungodly, un- ungodly hot, and you just don't want to do anything. Um, but right now, Carolina's got a festival that's running. Uh, Texas, the Texas Renaissance Festival is going. There's um, Louisiana has a show going because people from ORF that just finished up here at the end of October were going. Um, they were either rolling their their stock to their booth that was already running or they were prepping to go to another show. Um, I believe some of the earliest shows are in February and they're out west in like Arizona or they're very deep south like Florida and the Bay Area. Um, But that's February and March. So like December, January, you've got two months you're not earning unless you're lucky and you're doing smaller shows like one weekend. Um, I know there's a really early show in Oklahoma. And they have to deal with some pretty brutal weather conditions, depending. Um, I know this year Carolina has had a couple of days where they've shut down uh, due to hurricanes or flooding. So those are days that people are losing income because their shop is flooded out in a way that a more traditional brick and mortar is not. And that's performers who are losing out on busking money and CD sales because their venue is underwater or otherwise inaccessible. Like I said, I know a lot of performers. I know a lot of merchants. Fair, in a way, saved my life. Um, If I had not gotten that job and I had not fallen into this community, um, which is part coworker, part family, I don't know where I'd be uh, because I have met some of the most incredible people. My current boss is pretty awesome. He's a really, really wonderful guy. I'm really honored to know him and his wife, who's I'm a little afraid of. So that says a lot about her in one sentence. I've met patrons that have become good friends. I've had long-term customers 
who also their friends, they'll contact me in the off season and we'll chat. We use Facebook to keep in touch. Uh, people who travel the circuit, we use social media to keep in touch. And it's just, it's an amazing other world that gets a lot of shit in mainstream media. Think about all of your all of your uh, sitcoms. The Ren Fair, it's a trope. It's not a good trope. Heck, I remember there was a Renaissance Fair episode of um, Playboy reality show that they had for a bit. I think going to the Ren Fair, like gaming, like LARPing, like coding, any of these intellectual or non-traditional, huge air quotes in here, uh, pursuits are still looked down upon uh, by people who are outside that community. My parents would occasionally say to me growing up, you live in a fantasy world. And I was, no, no, it just looks that way because I have elf ears on. Um, <laughs> I am busting my ass for a 10 or 11 hour day um, on a fair day. I personally, and vendors work, <laughs> vendors who are on the circuit and are crafters, do so much more than I do. I just sell stuff. Um, but I wake up between 5 and 5.30 on a good day, um, on a fair day. I have set my costume for the weekend um, during the week, and it's all laid out so I don't have to find it because that would just be more stuff I have to do. Um, I put on my makeup. We are out of the house between 7 and 7.30. It is an hour and a half drive to site for our home show. We are there at nine o'clock and we are already moving. Canon is at 1030. So I've already put in an hour of work on site before any patrons have walked through the door, plus the prep time before getting in the car. And then we're done. The closing gate is at six o'clock. So the hours of business, 1030 to six. Um, it's 637 o'clock before I get to leave. And then it's another hour and a half drive. So I'm home if I don't stop for dinner. 9.30, 10 o'clock? I've been gone all day. It is dark again. <laughs> and it's it's tiring. I don't know how people who are on the circuit do it. Um, I very much admire them. I admire people who do the convention circuit. Vendors do that because there's overlap um, between vendors, especially with arts. Um, fine arts like um, prints um, we had at our show uh, Studio de Sade, um, which is uh, pretty big in the convention circuit uh, Ruth Thompson who did uh, magic cards um, back, art back in the day um, a big fantasy artist and we also had Ed Beard vending prints at our show these people go to conventions and make a season's worth of money in four days. Right. And they're also, well, Ruth Thompson is from Ohio, so it kind of makes sense that she would drop in when she can at a Ren Fair just to help build a little extra money from hometown crowd. I see some of these vendors at shows like Gen Con, at Dragon Con, at uh, San Diego Comic Con, at um, one of the lo one of the big gaming conventions in Ohio is Origins. These people are set up at Origins, right? So they're working all the time. 
just to keep stock so that they can be at several different shows because there's a bunch of conventions that convention season is all the time and there's lots of overlapping shows so they're crazy all the time just to keep up with inventory and creating new products they don't get days off ever i really admire them and the idea that this is a for fun thing and it's not hard work and we don't bust our asses is just absurd and i would really like that to to stop being a trope that people who participate in this are weird or don't appreciate the value of a hard day's work it's just like people that go to artists and say oh well, oh my god how much is this and you give them a price like well i can make that at home for cheaper it's like <laughs> then go make yeah. that at home for cheaper then because I need to pay for it stock. I need to... It's not about you making it home for cheaper. It's about me surviving. <laughs> and here's a funny thing. I saw... A, there's that post of... You can pay me for... you. Okay, I'll use my own product line. You can give me $140 for a very good corset. Or you can spend at least twice that plus dozens of hours making it yourself and you'll hate life. So it's easier to just pay me because you can make a corset on your own, but everyone I've talked to who's made one hates it. Our, uh, the boss's wife is an incredible seamstress. She won't make corsets. She hates them that much. We have suppliers who are very good at making corsets. The, we contract with so that we can have that quality and and uh, affordability point that we still make a little money but we're not cheaping you out like amazon and their 20 dollars corsets um i've picked up a 20 dollars corset and i will tell you right now in all honesty and this is you the listening public uh, because i'm pretty sure my uh uh, interviewer is not going to be picking up a twenty dollar corset for any reason. Um, I don't look, even know if they'll come in your look. I, I don't were, know if they'll come in your size. For starters, let, let me just point this out. If I bought anybody a twenty dollar corset, they'd be like, "No." <laughs> I do appreciate that you cultivate a group of friends who would murder you for <laughs> contemplating buying a twenty dollar corset. For yourself or others, because I have, I've said t-shirts, but I've had tank tops, which is, you know, not a lot of fabric, or bras that are heavier, that have more physical weight than a $20 corset. Just because it says it has metal stays in it, or metal boning, doesn't mean they used good metal. And if they if they've marked it up to $20, think about how little money they spent on materials. Yep. A crafter friend of mine posted the, yeah, you can pay me for it or you can build it for blah, blah, or spend X exorbitant amount of money on craft supplies meme. I'm sure we've all seen it. And he said, yeah, we've just, we've, because they sell like, pewter mugs with cool leather wraps on them and a bunch of other stuff. He's a leather worker. Leather work is expensive. Good for good shit. 
Um, cheap shit falls apart. Don't buy cheap shit. Um, he makes stuff for other Rennies, and he <laughs> specifically started in the Society for Creative Anachronism. He was making armor that was meant to take hits. Right. So he doesn't understand how to make low-quality items. Um, he charges 60 bucks for a pewter mug with a hand-tooled leather wrap. Hand-tooled, hand-dyed. 60 bucks. Yeah, that's a lot of money. But that's the value of the materials plus his time. Right. You can probably also make one, but you're not as good at it. You don't already own all the tools to do the tooling. You don't own the dye. You don't have the grommets. You, you, you don't have the wholesale suppliers or the skill to make the same quality of product. So it's going to cost you a lot more in time and materials because you're going to screw up a few times. <laughs> and it's much easier to just pay someone who knows what they're doing. And that's that's another thing I really wish people would understand about life. Pay artists. Pay artisans. They've put a lot of time and effort into learning how to do what they do. And they deserve an honest living for that. And I'm really sad that as a society, we've gotten away from that sort of mentality. Because everybody sees a tasty video on BuzzFeed and they think they're a master chef. That's why. Uh, I, that's fair. <laughs> but No, I just said see. Not that they've actually done it. They just see yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> they've observed it. They think they're good at it. It's really sad. Um, you have a Patreon. I do have a Patreon. I'm terrible at updating things because of my brain and because I needed to sleep and people would yell at me if I wasn't sleeping during fair season. So it's a little behind. I will be putting a link up for your Patreon onto okay. your information. Um, this is where not only are you putting up information about modeling, but you also do reviews on the makeup that you've been trying to. Um, occasionally, yeah. Um, I like to do product reviews because I get questions. Somehow, in my personal group of friends that I look at face-to-face, -face, I've become the makeup girl and good at it. And I don't know when that happened. It's rather disconcerting to discover that I'm good at things like makeup because I don't think I'm good at that. I don't watch endless YouTube tutorials and... It's I'm. It's not my job. I'm just an armchair hobbyist. I like testing products on me, um, and I have friends who LARP. I have other friends who do Ren who who do Renfair. Um, all of these other people can benefit from knowing if something is going to stand up, is going to hold up, if it's raining, if it's humid, if you're sweating through your shirt. All of these uh, weather conditions that I deal with working outdoors in a shack with no insulation um particularly the sweating and the rain so if i find something that works i'll write about it and i've done a couple of things in the past um, on facebook just for other people's information but now that i have a pa patreon i can put it there and have everything organized and tagged um, again I'm a librarian. I like to find the information once I've put it out there. Um, and Facebook is horrible I, for that. <laughs> Facebook is terrible for uh, archiving. So the Patreon is going to be much more useful. 
Um, I also am using it for to log cosplay ideas and builds as I go through them. Um, I think my the last build I threw together um, on the site was for Origins this past uh, June. Um, I finally crossed a character off my list. Um, ever since I found out about her, um, I wanted to cosplay Dawn from the Cry for Dawn comic book series. And I finally, at this point in my life, had the confidence or the I just don't care anymore idness to walk out in public in what is basically a pinup lingerie attire. It's, um, again, we'll get pictures. Uh, but uh, there was a, a huge, uh, the, every cosplayer's one true joy, their holy grail of doing a character, especially an obscure character uh, like Dawn. Uh, there was a huge fan uh, working for WizKids, and we hit the convention, the the hall. Um, it was a vendor hall or a demo hall, and he's sitting at a table with his um, with the other reps, and he's talking, and I'm walking with my spouse, who is dressed like a pirate as always. Um, shout out to him; he got recognized by random people in the middle of a giant convention. As a, as a very tiny local celebrity for a tiny town in central Ohio. And this this dad and son walked by and went, Hey, that's the, insert town name here, I'm not going to give away where I live on a podcast, Pirate. And it took him a month to come down off that high and he was intolerable. Until he chilled out again. He was so proud that in the middle of all of this craziness, he was recognized. Um, now, if I could just get him to keep that ball rolling. Uh, but back back to my Dawn story. This guy lit up when he saw me. I was far enough away he couldn't see all of the eye makeup. But I had the, the arm decorations. She's got uh, roses wrapped around one arm and a chain wrapped around the other. That's um, some neat iconography. And um, I had mimicked uh, a look from one of the covers, I think, um, or drawn elements from a couple of different co covers to build my outfit out of actual things that function in a comfortable way and move the way things should and aren't full of plastic boning or airbrushed on. Um, it's comic book art. Right. Clothing doesn't bend the way that it bent in the real world, the way it bends in comic book world. Um, love the artist. Learn how corsets work, please. Um, you see it in everything. It's terrible. It's upsetting. Um, but he saw the outfit at a distance and knew the character on site. He lit up. He stood up. He, as As we approached... He waited till we got close enough that he wasn't yelling, but he stepped out and he said, oh my God, can I get your picture? Blah, 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 blah. He was just so excited to have somebody cosplaying that character that uh, it made my day because somebody was excited about me and about the fact that I had taken this risk <laughs> and... Because, again, I have 
crippling self-image issues. And here I am walking around in a corset and a jury-rigged high-low skirt that is showing pretty much everything but, like, the tiniest bit of the top of my thighs in front. And, you know, I'm barely dressed because uh, the the skirt is also gauze, cotton gauze, uh, belly dance right. skirt. So there's not a lot there. It's sort of the suggestion of a skirt. And if the light hits it wrong, it, it disappears. Um, so here I am with age I am with my self-confidence issues, walking around in essentially booty shorts and fishnets and a corset. And this guy is not being weird or overly creepy about it. He is just excited to see uh, the comic book character that he really enjoys. He knows the artist. So he's always excited in general because he's like, I know that. I know the guy who does that. And somebody's doing it. And that's cool. That kind of thing. And it was really cool to be in that sort of pinup boudoir space in my clothing and not be sexualized. I know that sounds weird. Right. But it was it was neat that it wasn't I, I mean all of the weird all of the things that you're not supposed to do to a cosplayer he didn't do. He asked permission to take my picture. He didn't touch me without asking. This guy was everything you want out of a strange guy coming up and talking to you excitedly when you're in what could be considered considered a sexy cosplay. So that was equally awesome is that my first sexy cosplay, I had no creepers. I know this is a, a unicorn sort of thing, but it was pretty amazing because I'm very pro cosplay is not consent. Right. Uh, clothing is not consent. Remember kindergarten and don't touch people without permission sort of a thing. Um, and that cosplay build was fun. Now that I'm in my off season, I'm looking forward to working with a couple of friends that uh, Titanian Oberon to help me build uh, Flemeth from Dragon Age 2 and Dragon Age Inquisition uh, to build that costume uh, because they have the skill to help me um, build the right, build the wig the right way, build the armor, build all of the clothing pieces, set all of those little studs and Again, um, I'm just going to say it now because I've hinted that I'm older than I look. Um, I'm going to be 40 in June. I like the idea of, at this point in my life, moving into middle-aged older women in cosplay because there isn't enough of that. There isn't enough um, older women cosplaying Flemeth. I've looked. <laughs> I've seen a lot of Flemeth cosplays. They're all really young um and you might you there's a settling in the face that no matter how good you are at makeup unless you are hollywood quality and you're you know that level of access to supplies you're not going to get there with prosthetics or with contouring but there's also a grace in a way that comes with 
being where I'm at age-wise and knowing myself and finally getting a little comfortable in my body, even with the issues, that a younger person is not going to be able to bring to the character because they haven't been through the same the the same number of years right. of shit. Um, if you look at uh, General Organa, who is I've had requests for, um, I I guess salty old women is going to be my idiom uh, in the next phase of my life. Um, but you know she's she's seen some shit, and God love everybody who who cosplays Leia. You don't see a lot of recurrent gen movies cosplay of her. You don't see old, fat, grumpy Leia. And that needs to be a thing. Because she's now finally fully herself in these last movies. Um, as Carrie has come, came to be comfortable with who she was and all of its strangeness she brought that to the character and that needs to be represented in costuming uh flemeth as an older person needs to be represented in costuming because representation matters and just because you're not young and tall and thin and pretty doesn't mean you can't access something fun so that's the other reason i'm here modeling at almost 40 and far too fat for new york (laughs) and way too short um because if i with no skill and no training can get published you can too or someone else can too if i can do it someone else might be empowered. That's one of the things, a reason that I tell people that I am a Kevin Smith fan, because he's like, look, if I was a fat convenience store clerk in New Jersey that was able to go through and figure out a way to make a movie, a crappy movie at that, and he says it that way, more than likely you can do better, and you can just use me as a reference. If, I, if my fat ass could do it, of course I can. So you're right that you there needs to be more role models for everybody in general. <clears throat> That's one of the reasons why I do the podcasts because of Kevin Smith. He's got like six pod, six seven podcasts on top of all this directory stuff like that, and all he wants is more podcasts in the world, uh, having people talk about what they love, just because more people need to just be willing to express what they enjoy and the, the pe- things that and let people, more people know what they enjoy and why. That's why I do this is because there's so many people in my life that I enjoy that I think other people also need to enjoy them. Mm-hmm. What would you say is your guilty pleasure? My guilty yes. pleasure? Hmm. That's a really interesting question because I don't particularly feel guilty about my random indulgences. Um, then let's say what this, let me rephrase it because of that. What is your favorite type of random indulgence? 
Um, well, there's the ones I have to be careful about, and then there's the ones that I can just throw myself in at freely. Um, I do enjoy fine food and drink, but you got to be careful with that, especially because one, good alcohol is expensive, and two, alcoholism is a hell of a thing. Um, also, being morbidly obese will kill you. So, a good dinner will get you a long way with me. Um, I'm food motivated, not gonna lie. How how my spouse won the fight was he cooked me a whole bunch of good food and no one else was cooking. So, he won that. He won that uh, that race. Um, delicious food. Um, the thing, the random indulgence that I enjoy and I feel no shame about admitting is I came to it a little late, but I am very much a goth girl, deep, dark, deep down in what would pass for a soul if I had one. Um, also kind of a ginger, so no soul at all. Um, in fact, I'm very much looking forward to Saturday. That would be the 10th of November. Depend. So when this podcast comes out, people have a reference. Um, our local Saturday goth night is this Saturday. Uh, and uh, I'm trying to get a bunch of friends together because I'm not going to go by myself. There's creepy boys out there still. Um, and they're gross. And they're persistent. And it's pathetic, really, because to have people fling themselves at you. <laughs> Um, it's not flattering. Don't do it. It's gross. Just stop, please. From women and guys everywhere. If you're pathetically throwing yourself at someone in a bar, rethink your life choices. Um, especially if you're drunk. Uh, but I like going gothing. I like goth music. Um, one of my favorite, okay, I guess you could call... Thou shalt not, if I only were a goth, a guilty pleasure, because I'm infinitely delighted every time it comes on in my playlists, and I will stop and I will listen to it no matter what. I do not skip that song. Uh, part of it is nostalgia and sentimentality, and part of it is because it's an amazing song, and go listen to it. Um, it's so clever. Uh, at one point, somebody had misattributed attributed it to Voltaire and I had to correct somebody's music log um well music library uh to correct that uh misattribution because you know credit where credit belongs and no no shame in Voltaire and all of his cleverness but he didn't write that one um, and yeah that's a guilty pleasure because it's funny and scathing. Um, but yeah, I guess that works. Now, I have one question for you. Oh, dear. And it's, we've had all of this talk and all of these times, and I've given you a nickname and all of that. And you have a very... Um, you have very strong ties to the Harry Potter fandom and that world. Um, and, you know, it, in, it has infiltrated all of your, all of the rest of your life. And you've talked about Kevin Smith and you've mentioned these other things. 
why do you think this, you need to do this podcast? I understand the premise is you're living through other people's lives. Why do you think your life isn't interesting? I mean, you're also doing a podcast on Harry Potter, which I don't think there are a lot of those out there. Um, and if there are, there are probably not many who, that have taken your spin on it and are interacting with the world that way. So clearly you have an identity. So why are we really having this conversation? One, with the other podcast. The, it is the only difference with this. There's a lot of Harry podcast, podcasts out there. And a lot of them that do the, the format that we do, the weekly by weekly thing of um, going over each of the chapters and things like that. Um, I don't know if any of them have one of them being a wizard or not. That's I don't listen to a lot of other Harry Potter podcasts. I do know that our podcast is the only one that I could find that the person on the podcast has never read the books at all. So that's the only the only take that I could think of with that. It's more of wherever I move or wherever I go into things, I change completely. If I, I have a feeling that you and I wouldn't be having this conversation right now if I lived like in the middle of the Bible Belt because I would probably be wearing a Trump hat. Not because not I because don't. I may actually believe the rhetoric, but because of survival. You know how you were talking about being the DPS and taking all the hits? Um mm-hmm. If I was gonna, if I was going to even remotely identify myself as a role in that, it would be the tank. I take all the hits because that's all I know, and it goes on with everything. It's like, is this really who I am? The tank taking the hits, the person that is people identify me with various very complimentary things and I thank them for it. But if I don't feel that I'm like that, it doesn't stick to me on a deep, even subconscious conscious level. I think of myself more like a chameleon. I just go through and blend in and do whatever it takes to survive and be what is necessary to blend in. Um, if I feel that I'm not needed or not wanted or anything like that, I it's easy for me just to bug out and just pop out. If I'm not showing, it's easier just to fade out and not have to deal with it. And then I'd be like, I'm good. I don't have to be in the mm. spotlight anymore. I can back out. Which also, based on your thought, flies in the face of doing this. I don't think of it as me being on the spotlight. It's me, it's having a conversation with other people that I think should be in the spotlight. So, everything what it boils down to is doing this podcast and talking to people and getting to know them and getting things mm-hmm. that I may not have asked or stories that I may not have known about or things about them that I don't know helps me to 
go through the various layers of a person to see what layers that I have other than being the Harry Potter guy that um, will help out wherever he can. Um, and so it's like, I know there are people that would go through and support me if necessary and great and all, but until I can feel like I can support myself, I need to try to figure out what I what is out there and how things work until I can get to that point where I could say firmly, undeniably, no matter where I go, I am this person. And this is the line I draw in the sand. You're not going to be able to shake me from the, being this person of who I am. My friend Karen, uh, she goes on and talks about talked about uh, in her youth about being dr getting drunk and being outside and holding on to a piece of a uh, piece of grass because as long as she was holding on to a piece of grass, no matter how bad things got, she couldn't fall off the earth. I'm still looking for my piece of grass in that case. Because, mm -hmm. well, you're stuck with me. I will always try to find you. Um, I've already done that once. I've already tried to turn the country inside out to find someone who right. turned out did not want to be found. But at the time, we thought something bad had happened. And um, I've had a couple game uh, guild leader related experiences where, yeah, um, one of the uh, that has led to my guild, Moon Shadows, having a rule where we need your real name and we need a way to contact you because if you're gone for too long, we want to make sure you're okay. Um, and that's, uh, I mean, some pe people need someone in their lives that they know we'll come find them or at least look for them. Um, it's a scary world. And yep. so you've at least accomplished the goal of mattering to somebody enough to have them come look for you. Cause I will, if you disappear, but I get it. I get needing to figure out who you are in your skin. Um, and I know you've been through a lot in the past few years um, that can really fuck your shit up. Um, I've had the bad ex. Um, I've right. had the abusive ex. I've had the trauma of losing a, a very dear grandparent or parent um, or family member. Um, I've been there. I've done that. I've had to pack my shit and go or I would die. Um, so a lot of what I do comes out of that, you know, I've been there, I've done that. I want other people who might be going through their own shit to know that one, it's okay. Go through your shit, but I'll be there in the dark when it's dark because I'm not afraid of it. So from the little I have seen of you and I've, I've been watching. Um, it's been interesting to see 
how through your school and through your writing and through your interactions with people, how you're starting to take those steps to finding your footing again. Um, and I say again, because you wouldn't have gotten this far if you hadn't had it at one point. Um, See, uh, that, that that's really where I disagree. It's like, I don't think that I, I think that I've always really basically been at rock bottom. And now I'm just, uh, now I'm just figuring out how to climb out. When you're in the shit, it can feel like you've been in the shit for a long time. Um, again, I've been in the shit. Um, I have gotten out of it to some extent. Um, it's the stink, however, never leaves. Um, shit that happened to me. Um, tr emotional trauma scars, triggers, blah, 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 blah. Um, having an anxiety attack, just seeing a picture of certain people or, um, seeing a close associate, associate of somebody else. I actually dropped out of, uh, an event because somebody I cannot be around is involved and I'm very sorry because I was looking forward to it, but my mental health is more important. Um, and I don't want to begrudge other people their right to have fun. Um, it's easier for me to go have fun somewhere else. Um, I made a whole virtual world for that purpose. Um, and so other people could have a place where they could have fun <laughs> and feel safe. Um, but watching you take those steps to get back to what they call in the medical field baseline, not normal because normal doesn't particularly exist. Um, but baseline, which is your um, status quo, your uh, default setting. Um, I don't know what that is for you, because I sort of came in at the tail end of the shit. Um, so I don't know where we're going either with you. Hey folks, I'm cutting out five minutes of this because the next five minutes is going to be on Patreon only. It's at the $5 level. So, as extra bonus scene, $5. Visit www.patreon.com forward slash vicariousmuggleland to hear what we talk about. We'll continue after the next musical break. See you on Patreon. Um, I'm going to say it right now. Jim Butcher novels are the Dresden novels are not the best urban fantasy that's out there with wizards in it. There's better stuff out there. Love what you love, but it's you know like Harry Potter is great stuff. I'm coming at you, coming at your fandom. There's better YA fiction out there. There's better J fiction out there. Yeah, but that would require me to actually have the want or need to, like, read other things. Still, 
It's me trying to figure out... And that's the thing. Before you go off and start handing me other fiction, that's another thing about my identity process. Everything else about my identity process has because other people have said, you should read this, you should do this, you should be this, that, the other thing. It's always been... I worked so much and gotten involved in so much about what other people have suggested or done or given me or things of that nature that I'm not sure if I like it because I like it or it's because other people like it. The only thing that I refuse to like is I, Raisin you by like Elaine the cat. No, no, no. I like the fact that she mentioned the cat so I could explain away the rest of the dumpster fire. That, Here's that the thing with thing book was. recommendations specifically for me. Um, I just went through this with, I'm going to use his character name. Uh, I just went through this with Marcus. I Because th he's politically oriented. I threw a bunch of Terry Pratchett books at him and I said, if this is what you want to do with your life, these books will help you. <laughs> you should read them. They will be a good mirror because satire is a beautiful mirror. So if I'm recommending a book to someone, it is either because they will, I, I think there is something, it is something I've already read that I think will speak to them based on my observation. Not because I like it, but because I think it's important for them to look at it for some reason, or because it, in the case of a book like American Gods, that book is deeply meaningful to me and how I see the world. And it's instead of reinventing the wheel in explaining something to somebody, it's like, read this book. Things will make sense. One of the most amazing uh, compliments in my life I was ever given was um, the guy who plays the, the, the head of the city in the, in the discord game. Um, came to me one day and sent me a message. Have you read American Gods? I think you'd like it. And I said, honey, I, I read it regularly. Thank you. Yes, I very much enjoy it. Um, but it was the, he saw in that book something that reminded him of me. And that's how book recommendations should go. So if I said, I think you would, you should read The We Free Men, for example, by Terry Pratchett, it would be because there's something in that book that I think will help you on your journey, or specifically in your case, The Graveyard Book by Neil Gaiman. I think there's something in there that at the point you are in your life, you would get something out of it um, that you might not expect. Um, yes, it's a retelling of the Jungle Book with supernatural elements. That's just what it is on the surface. But you have to remember what the Jungle Book is really about at the end of the day. But you like urban fantasy, and so I wouldn't recommend the Jungle Book to you. <laughs> No, the, the, that's the thing. I don't like You love fantasy. Harry Potter, which is urban fantasy. There's so... 
there's so if anything on Harry Potter would be quote unquote urban fantasy, it would probably be closer to the last book. Really, it's are 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 you yeah. coming? Ad- Librarian. <laughs> I'm I'm gonna take my degree off the wall and I'm gonna. I'm gonna folding. I'm gonna show it to the audience, and then I'm gonna over the back of the head with it. The wrestling move reference, you nerd. Because of the because it's set in the modern era, that's part of what makes it urban fantasy. Um, it's not high fantasy. It's not swords and sorcery. Urban fantasy is set in the modern world. Uh, the Jim Butcher novel novels are urban fantasy. Um, What's another big one? Uh, Kim Harrison's books. Um, what's another big one? Uh, the Sookie Stackhouse novels by Charlene Harris. That's urban fantasy. All set in that modern era. Yeah, they're very different books. Um, and they're very, very different from Harry Potter. Just like Twilight. Another urban fantasy is very different from Harry Potter, but they're all the same genre. And that's the cool thing about genre fiction is you just take different pieces, parts, and you shove them together and you see what works. Um, Stephen Brust called that the writing about stuff I like. Um, But your intense love of Harry Potter says that there's a type of urban fantasy you enjoy. And the, the I would recommend based on that um, YA books specifically that deal with similar themes and are set in a fantastical universe that is modern-esque. I'm going to agree to disagree with you about this because in the Harry Potter fandom – there is a debate about this very thing, and it we the fandom and various people within the fandom do not really consider this urban fantasy due to how little the amount of while it's in quote unquote modern times, how little of the books take place within the modern urban structure. Ah, there is a lot of discussion about it. Um, there is a broader cat- umbrella category called contemporary fantasy, which yeah, I would I would put all of the books I mentioned yeah, fit in. I would say that would be would fall under contemporary fantasy. Like for example, um, my my friend Dr. Perry, um, she her novels, the um, Providence Paranormal College, definitely I would throw into urban fantasy. Um, I listen to her books when they come out on audiobook. But other than that, it's like, yeah, I've, I've, but still, basically everything that I, just everything that I've been handed to, handed, books wise, you should read this, you like it because I think it meshes with you, would all be considered urban fantasy or contemporary fiction or things like that. Stephen King, Dean Koontz. Uh, V.C. Andrews. Um, yes, I've... Oh, God, V.C. Andrews is super messed I up. I know. My sister... <sighs> I I went through, like, the first three series of it, I would say. Maybe four. And I stopped reading them. Um, because... Pretty sure that was a cry for help. 
the the flowers in the attic was a cry for help and nobody did anything about it yeah um <laughs> that is some messed up everything shit. that i've basically been handed has been genre fiction uh contemporary modern fantasy uh things like that it's like all right i see what i so i read them and i get what the people like about them i'm able to discuss points i'm sometimes able to get more deep into the knowledge of said books than the person that handed it to me because i'm reading it and getting trying to get as much as i can out of it for the person that hands it to me enjoyment not for my own enjoyment sometimes i will excel at something just because someone else needs a partner to do something and then they'll stop doing it because I excel at them. It's the it's an ADHD thing for me in that case. I get that. I come from a similar place. I too have ADHD. Um, that's why I tend to not MMO with anybody other than the spouse. Um, and we have sets of characters that run well together uh, based on what we feel like playing that day. Um, so that we have like half a group already started and I can yell at him and he can yell at me and we can basically cover our own asses and let the world burn around us and everything will kind of be okay. We're not going to get all my mental problems solved in one podcast. I wasn't going to try. (laughs) Uh, I am not a professional psychologist. I'm a professional of other things. I'm a highly trained sales ninja. If you want me to solve all your mental problems, that's a different podcast, and that costs extra. I have so a this will be great. <laughs> all right. Well, I want to thank you. We've gone almost two hours just with this. <laughs> um, but thank you for your time, and I appreciate all your help with this. It was my pleasure. Um, I really hate the sound of my voice and public speaking, so this was super outside my comfort zone, but I got to rant about some important stuff and maybe someone will listen, and hopefully you got plenty of audio that's worth cutting into something someone might want to listen to. No, I got plenty of audio, trust me. is all we have time for today folks uh you can go through and find vita's patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash v i d a amazon mary u e r t a m o d e l i wasn't going to try to pronounce it and have you guys guess to spell it but I know some people like to actually type at their keypads and keyboards and check things audioly. All Many of the links that we spoke about are going to be in the information for the podcast. For example, this is going to be going up really, really early on Patreon. 
So if you wanted to listen to this really early, like maybe about a week early, you would be able to go to www.patreon.com forward slash vicarious muggleland, where all the episodes, as they're edited, go out early. Now, only $1 will get you the early episodes, but there's also bonus content that is a little bit more expensive. In fact, Vita has updated her tier levels on her Patreon, so go check out both of them and see what happens. I would like to get, once again, welcome, thank her for being on the show, and you can reach me on Facebook at www.forward/slash www.facebook.com forward slash Vicarious Identity. I'm also on Twitter, but I barely use it, at Vicarious ID. So I would just like to say, as per usually with the ends, they used to call me Mr. Bill. They used to call me No Chill Bill. One of these days, I'll actually have a closing. So until next time, my next guest, hopefully will be someone that I've been admiring from afar recently, and he's been an awesome person, but who knows who will be next on the next episode of Vicarious Identity. Ravenclaw, 6. Hufflepuff, 2. Gryffindor, 2. Slytherin, 1. Durmstrang, 1. Huffleclaw, 1.